Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Ruby for All. Julie, what is up in your life? So Zoom doesn't work and my camera is off. And that's all I'm thinking about right now. What's going on in my life? I feel like there's something big going on in my life, but I just can't think of it right now because it's not on my mind. That's how I compartmentalize too. What's going on in yours? There's a shortage of the ADHD medication that I take in the United States right now. A big shortage. And that's been happening for a while. It has been happening for a while, but it was only affecting Adderall for a while. They were saying it was due to like people who had more prescriptions than they needed to. And there just was a supply issue, which I don't really totally agree with, but there was a supply issue. I don't take Adderall. Now there's, and I was actually going to talk to you about this offline, but I forgot, but I take Vyvanse for my ADHD and the company that owns Vyvanse lost the patent on it or something, which I don't fully understand, but I guess that means they can make generic versions of it. Because of that, the company that makes my medication has on purpose dropped the supply of it. And it has been several weeks and I've been off my medication. Oh my gosh. Sorry. I thought you had this issue of like low supply or whatever for a while. Cause I thought like several episodes back, you mentioned that you were off your meds, um, but now you're uh, off your meds for several weeks. So I think the last time we talked about it, the problem was starting to surface and I didn't realize how bad it was going to get, but they were able to give me a partial refill last time. And I think that's probably what we talked about where I was like, they're not able to give me all of it. Basically, they didn't have enough. And now they can't give me any. And there's no pharmacy in the area that has any. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I haven't heard of a company just dropping supply because I assume it would take time for the generic companies to create stuff. Apparently they already have. I saw on Reddit two days ago, someone was like, I was just able to pick up the first generic version of this. Oh, okay. So just now coming out. And I think they lost the patent at the beginning of the month or maybe the beginning, sometime last month, probably. But that's what's been weighing on my brain because (laughs) I have been taking this medication for a while and I can function without it. Like I said, it doesn't make me smarter, but I had a set of coping mechanisms before I took my medication for dealing with my ADHD. And now I don't really have as many of those anymore. So it's been quite the adjustment the past few weeks. Sorry to hear that. Thank you. It has been quite a struggle, but it's okay because it has re-brought out the boisterous side of my behavior. So I'm ready to go. I want to like run in a field and swim and be free, you know? (laughs) I have to ask, are you in a bedroom? Yes. So it's a bed that's always made? Yes. (laughs) Because I'm looking at it and I'm like, wow, do you make your bed every day? No, 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 no. I'm the type of person that likes to pile things on one side of the bed. I can't remember the last time I made my bed. Well, and I, I also, I realized a long time ago that even though my mom desperately wanted me to be like a fitted sheet person, I am not. I am like a light comforter only person. I don't understand what that means, a fitted sheet person. So you know how like normal people when they sleep under like sheets, there's sheets and there's like blankets and stuff. I sleep, it's like something is attacking me in the middle of the night. So when I wake up, there are no sheets on the bed anymore. Like the underlying light sheets. I don't even know what they're called. (laughs) You know what I mean? I don't think the top one is a fitted one, but yes, I know what you mean. The layer between you and the blanket, which I don't also have a layer between me and the blanket. 
I mean, in a hotel room because it's there. Right, right, right. Yeah. Also in hotel rooms, they tuck the blankets in super tight. So like it actually stays on me. (laughs) And I actually kind of like that. Yeah, I agree. But I am a blanket only person. I don't know how we started talking about that. Oh, because this bed has a blanket that's not in the middle of the bed. (laughs) (laughs) What do you mean it's not in the middle of the bed? Like I said, I'm a violent sleeper. I wake up the next morning and I'm like having like flashbacks. I'm like, I don't know what happened last night, but I went to war. Um, When you were saying that you sleep with things on the side of your bed, what do you mean by that? I mean, I have a king size bed because I'm a king. (laughs) Someone told me a long time ago that there are like certain things in life that like if you just pay money for it, those are things that like you'll use for a long time. And it's like an investment that's worth it for something better. So I paid money for a nice bed and I love my bed. And I spent a lot of time in it, so it was worth it. But I have a king-size bed, and I am a person who normally sleeps alone. So I like to keep odds and ends on one side of the bed. Like a book? No, no. I wish it was a book. It starts with clothes. Like, I start piling clothes on it. You know, books too. Like, iPad, and then, like, empty popcorn bags, for instance. <laughs> nice. So that you can have an empty bag of popcorn in the middle of the night. Well, so I a a bag of popcorn in the middle of the night and normal people will then roll over and put it in a trash can and then I will just roll over and go to sleep. Fair. Yeah, I think so. But not everyone has shared that sentiment. (laughs) (laughs) I can't keep going. The more we talk about this, the worse it's going to get and the more you're going to realize. And it's just best if you just don't worry about it. Well, I do this thing where I throw my clothes that I want to put away, you know, like clean clothes from the hamper. Mm-hmm. I throw it on the bed so I can have a nice yes. place to do my clothes. And then I'll stop to do something else. I forget all about it. 10 o'clock rolls around and I need to go to bed, but I do share a bed. So then I can't just leave it on one side because I need to sleep on that side. Right. I have to then move it and throw it on the floor. And the whole cycle starts over again the next day. Yes. Sometimes I go back and I'm like, oh, here's that shirt. And I'll pick the shirt up off the floor, put it on and continue with my day. Nothing has happened. Actually, that might be how I got the shirt on I have now. I did that the last load. I actually, as we speak, I think I have the bed set up with clothes on it. But when I had to keep doing the put it on the floor type thing, I just left it on the floor and I just... Now it's nice and open. I can look at what I need and just grab it from there. <laughs> See, I understand that, but not everyone does. <laughs> I, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> I used to be one of those people that had the doors off of their closet. Oh, yeah, me too. So you can see everything. Me too. That way I can know where everything is. <laughs> <laughs> I don't Every know how I we got on the cabinet. I never see them again. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean about that. It's better if you just don't have anything. I firmly agree with that. I said this on remote review, I'll tell you. I recently have decided that I'm kind of done with most silverware. (laughs) So I have converted to chopsticks for most things and might have a small amount to do with the ability to clean them easier or the fact that I now just understand the chopstick life and they just make a lot of sense. I never thought I would be the person who eats ramen with chopsticks, but here I am. I do not eat anything with chopsticks. It's a versatile tool. You should check it out. Do you eat soup with it? Yes. You just I'm like an animal. Yeah, sure. Yes. <laughs> you just drink the. <laughs> because my mom's not here to scream at me not to slurp in public. <laughs> yes, I do. I'll drink it. You know, we went to one of those Benihana restaurant things where mm-hmm. they cook in front of you. They have these chopsticks where they put 
rubber band on the end of it and a, yeah. a piece of paper in between so you can like mm -hmm. the kids can practice using chopsticks. Those are great. Yeah, I actually know how to make those. I know exactly what you're talking about. You make them? I know how to make them. Oh. I like rubber bands. <laughs> we'll talk about this later. We have stuff to talk about. Already on an ADHD train. Yes, today we're going to talk about services that we run alongside our Rails apps. Because this morning we were upgrading our production database from 13 to 15, I think. And in going along with that, then every developer, the way, had to update their local Postgres version to the new version. And we had to update CI as well. And it kind of just reminded me of how everyone seems to run these services differently. It was just interesting to me because our designer was like, hey, can you give me a hand? Because he knew I liked the setup stuff. And I was like, yeah, I got you. And I started to try to do it one way. And then I realized that that solution wasn't going to work for this person. Like the faster solution was to use like a GUI app instead, like the Postgres app itself. And I, it just reminded me of how, because I feel very strongly that ASD app is the one true way. <laughs> so I was, how do you run Postgres? Do you use Homebrew? You have like brew install Postgres and that's how you run your, and you use like brew services. Yes. But now I'm also wondering what is ASDF and I didn't understand like when you said that this person that you are helping out with, they might benefit better from a GUI. What were you doing exactly? So we needed to upgrade his database version from 13 to 15. Now he's a designer. He's not a developer, but he knows how to write code. So he will like jump in the code. Actually, he is a developer too. He knows how to write code, but he is our designer. And he was like, hey, the app's not like I logged in today and the app doesn't work anymore. Since he's not engineer by trade, I was like, yeah, I can give you a hand to figure out like what's happening here. And I quickly realized it was because his database had disappeared because now we were using a new database version. And I was like, okay, well, how are you running your database to begin with? Because in my brain, I'm like, okay, we'll just if he's using homebrew or if he's using this or that, we'll just upgrade him to the new version and we'll be done. But he wasn't sure how he was running Postgres, which is not uncommon, actually. He's just like, I set it up a long time ago and it just works, which is not uncommon for most people. So I wasn't really even sure how he was running in the first place. And so I had to make a decision about how do I migrate him to the new version? Do I use homebrew or do I migrate him to the tool that I use or do I set him up with some easier solution that makes it more able for him to know this in the future. And Postgres has a really good app. I think you just look up Postgres app, which will basically give you a GUI for setting up your Postgres databases. And I decided for him that it would be easier for him to have that visual representation of the database in a GUI app and not run a service that he wasn't able to fully manipulate because that's not his job, right? Yeah. That's my job. So I was like, I need to give our designer the fastest way possible to get this new database version without slowing him down. And I chose the app because I tried to get him to use ASDF and it wasn't working for some reason. Actually, that's the real reason. But because everyone's setup is different, the way that Homebrew is set up, because he was one of the first people to get an M1 Mac at Podia, his Homebrew setup was a little different. And I was thinking about that when I spoke to you earlier. I was like, how do you run your services? Because everyone seems to run them differently and there's like benefits and negatives to doing all of them. So then we started talking about services and here we are. All right. So what's ASDF? ASDF is a way to manage multiple runtimes. It's a multiple runtime version manager. So do you use RBENV or RVM? R-B-E-N-B. -E yeah, okay. So RBENV R is... 
a yeah. runtime version manager for Ruby specifically. Okay. So when you want to install multiple versions of Ruby, because your Mac comes default with a version of Ruby on it. Ruby is built into Mac OS still, as far as I know, but it's not an up-to-date version. And you almost will always see everyone say, do not use the system version because reasons, because it's built into the operating system. So it doesn't change. It's not the most up-to-date version, yada, yada, yada. So most people will reach for a tool like RBenv or RVM or ASDF or CHRuby or something like that does something like that as well. But regardless, they'll choose a tool just like they will for Node, like NVM or you can also use ASDF for Node or whatever. There's another version of that as well that I've seen. So now you have all these different tools, right? You have RBenv and you have NVM and then maybe you have to use Python. So you have PyEnv and then you have to use a different database version. If you and I are working on a project that's using the latest version of Postgres, but that your work, you're using Postgres 13, you're going to have to then have a way to toggle between those different database versions. And then what if you have different Redis versions that you need to use? And previously, most people would just use Homebrew and you would see things like Homebrew install MySQL at 5.7. And Mm -hmm. so that's how Homebrew would know to install the 5.7 version of MySQL. But the problem is that Homebrew is not a version manager. You can install those things, but in order for you to be able to like switch between them, it's a nightmare. And you have to get like deep into the path stuff into your machine. So what these version managers allow you to do is to bypass all that stuff and handle it for you. And ASDF is a wrapper around kind of all of those tools I just spoke about. It allows you to manage Postgres, Redis, Yarn, Node, Ruby, and a ton of other tools. And so I value only using one tool for all of this stuff. Because I also use Python and like other, like Rust. So I use everything inside of ASDF and it kind of manages all of it. Did you tell me one time your ASDF messed up something? Or did I see that somewhere? There's always like weirdness when you're dealing with situations like this. I have had issues with it in the past, but I have been a firm believer in using this like religious. I haven't changed my SDF setup in a long time, actually. It's one of the things that stay pretty stable in my system. Wait, so at work, can you use ASDF, but other people don't use ASDF? Like it? Yes. And how does this relate to if your app is in a Docker container or something? I'm glad you asked. Because all the things we just talked about, these are services that you are either hosting, using hosted, or you're hosting yourself. And they're usually open source tools. And they all kind of combine to make things run in your app, like Elasticsearch, for instance. Now, all of this is the Docker is quote unquote, the solution for all of this. And I can't describe how big of air quotes I'm saying because it's not, but it kind of is. Our designer logged in, the database version had changed. He had to change his computer to a company for these changes. He had to like remember how things were installed. He had to make upgrades, et cetera, et cetera. The way it would work in a Dockerized app is those changes would be made to the Docker file. So the Docker file is where you're installing tools and services inside of the containers to create the image. So the image that the container runs on will have all that information inside of it. So it doesn't matter what version of Ruby you're running on your machine because the Docker container will have its own version running inside of it that is completely oblivious to how your machine works. Gotcha. So if something changes, you would just rebuild the image or something. Exactly correct. I haven't used Docker in a year or two, but it used to be that you would have all these service containers in your Docker file or the Docker compose file. And so you would say, use the Postgres 
13 image, use this Redis image and use this node image or not node, you wouldn't use node, but you'd use Redis and, and Elastic and things like that. You would run those services and to make a change to them, you would just upgrade the that image that you're using and referencing your Docker Compose. Hi there, Julie here. I would like to take a moment to thank GoRails for sponsoring this episode. When I was first starting out, I struggled with finding up-to-date content to help me level up. Then I learned about GoRails. Not only does GoRails provide new screencasts weekly, they also have two fantastic instructors that break down complex topics into digestible chunks. On top of that, I really appreciate when they explain the whys behind the subject. One of my favorite walkthroughs is creating your first Ruby gem from scratch. What a great way to learn by stripping down to just the basics. If you care about leveling up as a Ruby engineer, you can't go wrong with GoRails. Check it out at GoRails.com. And if you're not using Docker and, well, I guess at Podia, you're not using Docker, but is it possible that your app will still run even if you're running, let's say, different Redis versions between different machines? Yes. And it's not even uncommon, I would say, for that to be happening. On Heroku, when we deploy our application, it uses the build pack that Heroku has that has these versions of Ruby and Node installed in them. And the other day, I noticed that, and because you can kind of do this with Node, it's not really a big deal. Like running different database versions is completely different than running different versions of Node. So we were using a different version of Node in development than in production, and we fixed that. But that's just an example of how it didn't matter. And I imagine that people throughout were all using different versions of Node until we kind of, we cemented on the correct version. But it didn't matter, even though that 100% will bite you in the butt. And we are just kind of lucky it didn't. But that's what Docker is supposed to solve as well of like, oh, but it worked on my machine, right? What if I use something that was in a newer version of Node that we weren't using on Heroku or something that was deprecated out, for instance, if you're using a Docker image, that wouldn't be a problem. You would know right then and there versus we have to deploy. And then if the build fails, then we have to be like, oh, crap, what happened? Sorry, I'm trying to understand this. So if you were running a different version of Node and I was running a different version of Node, what's the problem with that? They're different versions. So there could be different results. So the real thing that you would notice this issue come up, like we might never notice, right? If you don't have it specifically laid out somewhere that you're supposed to use a specific version. Like a lot of these tools will have like a version file that will say the version that the tool will then pick up and use. Like in Ruby, you'll see a .ruby version file in a lot of apps. And that is not for Ruby. That is for Arben and RVM, I think. Uh. So those tools. So that tells those tool. And it also will tell ASDF. ASDF has a .tool versions file that it uses to collect all the versions of the plugins you're using. So like you can list your Ruby node and whatever versions in there. And then I could download the app and then tell ASDF to just install all of the things from that file. But if you're using a tool like RBN and you'll log in and I download your version, it will look at that .ruby version and try to set just the Ruby version to that. But if you don't have a Node version file, then it's usually, and people usually install Node from Brew, I think. So everyone could be on a slightly different version, like a slightly different patch version or minor version of Node. As long as it's not a major version, like you might never be able to tell and you could keep pumping code into production and it would probably work. But at some point, you're going to run into a problem where someone uses a piece of code that works in their version. And if their version isn't the same version as production, that's the whole problem that Docker's trying to solve too, is like, 
it works on my machine. But if it's not running on the same architecture that runs in production, which is what Docker tries to provide, of like your development, your production are the exact same thing, then you run into issues like this, where you could run into issues like this. I see. So how did the switch from 13 to 15 go for your company? So in production, it went pretty smoothly. Upgrading a database is very, very, very different than upgrading your node version, right? Because if you upgrade your node version, you just update it and then you run Yarn and then you're good to go. But for a database, you have to literally migrate the database to a whole new version, like a whole new version of the database. And there could be breaking changes, which we didn't have any issues at all. But you also have to plan for that too. Like there's going to be a time period that your app goes down if you have to do that. But ours was pretty quick. So we did have the tiniest bit of downtime while we switched it over, but it was back up super, super quick. And now I think everything's good. Do you have like a staging environment where you do all the, like you would switch in there and see if it messes anything up and then? Yes, we do. We use Heroku pipelines and I've done a lot of work with Heroku, but not with the pipeline architecture. And it's never had to change since I've been at Podia. So I've never had to get more in-depth into it. But we don't really use a staging. Like we have the ability to, but when PRs are merged, there's like a pipeline in Heroku and it like builds our quote unquote staging, I think. But it's kind of just like a holding ground for us to then promote because we've deployed multiple times a day. So So do you go straight from your local to then production? No, it sits in a queue and then we can promote it to production. So every time we push a a commit to main, Heroku will then build the new version of the app and then we can hit promote and it will then publish that to production. I see. So you don't have to like test in between, but you're not testing Uh, in it though. No, we can and we do sometimes. It depends on the feature, but we're a very like feature flag based company. So Mm, our idea is that the branch of main is always deployable no matter what. It should always be deployable. I should never have to worry about hitting deploy. So we deploy multiple times per day because of that. I see. Cool. Yeah. Going from database 13 to 15, like what is a possible breaking change that could happen? I know you didn't experience any, but... So I don't have the specifics on the changes in Postgres 13 and 15. I do know that Postgres 16 is supposed to come out on September 14th which will be in the past when this episode comes out. So because there's a new version coming, that Heroku is like, okay, we're not going to support 13 anymore. We're only going to support 14 through 16 because I think they currently support 13 through 15. Mm. So I think this was our way to just be prepared when they drop 13 and then we can move to 16 if we need to or want to. I don't know what changes took place in between. I can tell you exactly what can happen though if your database migration doesn't work correctly. <laughs> You might not have a database. And how would you know that? You would be very apparent. (laughs) It would be super, super apparent. Nothing would work. Yeah, it could just be an utter disaster. You should never do this without having backups, a way to go back. What else? Prayers. Before you do this, you should have a solid plan for what you're going to do if this doesn't work. So what is your like backup plan if going to 15 broke everything? Well, for instance, if the data got corrupted, now using a service like Heroku, it's a lot smoother and different of a process than if we were running these services ourselves and I had to like SSH into a box to do this. There's a lot less chance of something going wrong on Heroku because they're kind of handling it for you to a large extent versus doing it yourself. Now, if you're doing it yourself, that's where things can go terribly wrong. 
I mean, you can corrupt the whole thing, so and it could just be gone. <laughs> so you need to have make sure you have backups first off. This is not my area of expertise by any means, but at minimum backups, like you need to have a plan for rolling back the version change if it doesn't work. Like if it starts switching over to 15 and then that doesn't work, you need to have a plan for the fastest way to get your database back online mm-hmm. and getting yourself back to whatever version you want. In my opinion, yeah, you need to have redundancy. So, I mean, but that it kind of makes sense to everything. You should always have database backups, not just for this. Like you should always have database backups running consistently throughout the entire time your app is running. But specifically before doing this, like you'll want to do that. And maybe, I'm sure there's plans out, like these tools are open source. Like when they get changed, there's documentation on that. There's change logs, there's code to look at. So mm. there's probably a how to upgrade to Postgres 15 from 14 on the Postgres website specifically, I would imagine. So using like the tools that you're just say at your ability and planning for it not to work. Because you would much rather have a plan in place for not working and not have to use that than all of a sudden, like you're expecting your database. Like if we're in this call right now and if this database migration was still running and then all of a sudden it's broke and her was like, I don't know what happened. The data is gone and we didn't have backups. That could be your whole business gone right there. And it could take days or weeks to recover that data. If like your database restore runs at a threshold, right? There's thresholds of like the amount of data that can come in through the wire like how fast that can go into the database. So if you bork your whole database, your entire company could be down for days while it rebuilds the database. So oh yeah, like the scale that you're at really dictates that, right? If our database went away and we had to rebuild it, it wouldn't take us a week to get the database back online. But at a company at the scale of like GitHub, where they're running like multiple databases, if something goes wrong there, <laughs> it's going to be a big problem and it's going to cost a lot of money. Yeah. So... Two things. One, you said SSH into a box. Yes. What do you mean by that? So when we say cloud, what we really mean is that somewhere in Arizona, there's an underground farm of data servers running and server boxes running in a server farm that is like multiple football fields in size. In the past, a lot of people who would have on-prem storage, you would literally walk into a server room and there'd be a big rack F servers in it. And you'd have an IT person that's in managing all that data and is responsible for keeping the server online. And it's still the same idea when you're having to access like your Rails console, your Postgres, whatever, you're accessing that server box, basically, wherever it may be. Even if it's in the cloud, it doesn't matter because eventually it's going to come down into one of those little boxes running on a rack somewhere, mm. probably underground in a big server farm that we know nothing about. <laughs> Scary. But... When I say SSH into a box, so when you SSH basically into your server. The other thing I was thinking about is I have to switch computers and I have this like local app that I've been having and I have a local database. I don't know how to move my database to another computer. Is that possible? There's multiple things you can do. I might be able to give you a piece of code from my secret special box to help you specifically with this, but there's multiple ways that you can do this online. If you're upgrading databases, there's like a PG upgrade command. I think that allows you to migrate the data. You could use the Postgres dump commands and you could dump your data into a file. And then you could restore that dump on your new computer. So you could basically copy the file over. Dump file is basically like, think about it like a zip file for your database. Mm, Okay. That's the easiest, I think, analogy I could use for it. So you take that and you go on your other computer and you restore the database using the dump file from there. So you basically just copy the database over. 
And that's very simple. Like all you have to do is look up PG dump and restore commands online. Another thing that you could do if you wanted to get more creative with it in a Rails app specifically, you can use certain gems to dump your database into a seeds file. Now that can get sticky with oh my gosh, that can get file. sticky with foreign keys, but that is an option. So you could consider like that time that you're like, okay, I need to move all this over. Maybe that's the time to look at this is going to be a thing. Maybe I need to look at getting seeds going or something. But the fastest way to do this, there's dump and restore commands you can use. Okay. That seems simple enough to look up. Yeah. Or you could probably be like, how to move database to a new computer. Like, I think in the directory, I wouldn't do this. I would use the tools, but like somewhere on your computer, there is this database, right? So in theory, yeah. it can be moved. like in a folder somewhere. Yeah. Somewhere is there. Do you use Docker? Yes, for some things. Gotcha. Okay. So when I was first starting out, Docker wasn't a thing yet, or it was just becoming a thing. And like you knew every time you got a job or moved to a new project, you knew that you were going to be spending like an hour or two setting up the app and all the services associated with it. Like you had to literally plan time to be like, okay, it's going to take me this amount of time to do to set up this. And then I got to connect all these services. And then Inevitably, something doesn't work correctly when you run brew install, and then you got to debug all that, and you got to make sure they're all working, and they have to have all the right paths, and was just an absolute nightmare. Docker made it a lot easier in some ways, but ever since then, the tooling has kind of just improved a little bit to where that I run into those situations less and less, especially when I use tools like ASDF to like kind of obfuscate, like, oh, I need NVM and PyM and RBEM and <laughs> RustM and whatever the heck, you know? So... That's all I got. You said an hour or two. I feel like it takes days to set up environment. <laughs> I was thinking about like the app. I think if you already have some of those tools installed on your computer, then a new app might not take that long if it's in the same company. That's what I was talking about, in the same company. Oh, uh, okay. Okay. If it's a whole new company, that's like a day at least. Sometimes I was thinking it take a week. Yeah. Because everyone's system is different. Why does Podia not use Docker? We don't need to. Oh. I've been in a lot of places with Docker at this point in my life. <laughs> I'd say that like I'm getting off a battlefield. When Docker first came out, before anyone else that I saw was using it, there was someone, a company I was at, who was like, Docker is the future. We need to move everything to Docker. Or at least I want to proof out a concept of using Docker. That company, it was necessary to a degree to use Docker because they had so many services and so many apps. And those apps would use different versions of things. And they all talk to each other via Kafka. And there's Elasticsearch in there and Zookeeper and yada, yada, yada. The level of services that are required to run the application, one application by itself, not to mention that you might be switching between four different apps to complete one task, four whole different Rails apps with their whole, maybe they're on the same versions, maybe they're not. You don't know. Wow. So at that place, it made 100% sense that like dockerizing the apps and then maybe eventually moving to Kubernetes made 100% sense. And that was before anyone else I saw in the Rails community really doing it. And that was years ago. And since then, we went through a massive Docker phase as an industry. And because I've got to see like how it's changed over time, and I had to work with it for so long that I eventually saw the downsides and I had to live with the downsides for a while. At the end of the day, like there's this whole level of complexity that comes with using Docker that it wasn't apparent at the very beginning, but is a much more apparent now that a lot of people have used it and tried it and made a decision on whether it's good or not. Back then, we weren't sure 
we were hitting new problems that I could not figure out how to run system tests in Docker. It took me like a year. And now that's now it's pretty easier. Yeah. It took me a long time to figure out how to make that work correctly. Now it's way easier. And now Rails even offers its own Docker files and stuff. Like that wasn't a thing at all. Like I had to learn so much Linux-based knowledge back then. And it was all new. Because of all that, Docker is the right solution in a lot of cases, but I know when it's not. And Podia is not a situation where Docker is needed whatsoever because Podia doesn't have a ton of services like Elastic that need to be in connection to the app. So there's no need for Docker. I see. And we don't have multiple apps. Like we work on a monolith. So that's why. Wait, so do you not use microservices? No. When I first started out, microservices were the thing. And I think since then, the industry has also changed on that. Docker was a solution to microservices as well. A thing that allowed microservices to work very well. But as the microservice trend has drastic... Like it used to be microservices or nothing. And now we've majorly changed our opinions on that. And actually, I don't want to say anti-pattern, but there are some people who firmly believe microservices are an anti-pattern these days. Whereas when I was first starting out, that was not the case. It was like, how do we move everything into a microservice? And now it's like, how do we bring everything back in? What's the benefit of having microservices and why did people move back? I think it's different for everyone. But I think at the end of the day, I think the complexity of microservices wasn't as apparent or it was a pattern that people were like starting to get behind. It was like a fad, basically. And I think more people use them, the more people found issues with them. And I think people now are like, there's a lot of complexity that goes into doing that. You have to have more people a lot of times to handle multiple apps. Mm -hmm. You have to have people splitting context. There's a lot of different decisions that come into both of them. And I really think it's a company by company decision. If you have a smaller company that works with one app, right? Like you can probably do that. Or maybe you have a humongous company like Shopify, where having everyone work on the same app would be ludicrous. Yeah. Right. (laughs) That would be ludicrous. So in that situation, having microservices makes a lot more sense because they can divide the labor and split it and have those apps do a very specific thing. But the definition of microservice is like what people in the Rails world used it for was like a Rails app isn't necessarily a microservice in the traditional sense of the word. It's more like a macro service because it's a whole app. But I don't know. I think it just depends on company to company, really. Cool. Well, this was a really interesting topic, but I learned a lot from this. I have fun. (laughs) I'm going to say goodbye to you. I'm going to say goodbye to the listeners. And I'm going to peace out of here. And we'll catch you all back next week. Bye. Bye, everyone.